Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Morning everyone, welcome to church. My name's Ross, if we haven't met. And it's an exciting morning, not just to be together, it's the start of a new year. It's also uh, starting new routines, uh, establishing new relationships if you're new or visiting, but it's also start of a new series in the book of Romans. I'm going to do our Bible reading now, which I'm just looking up. Romans chapter 1, we're going to kick it off right from the start. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him we receive grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And you are also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we dig in, let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Dear Father God, we've been uh, singing to you this morning, we've been engaging with you in prayer and we just pray now that you would speak to us, that you would reveal to us so that we may know you more deeply, know you personally and know, uh, and know how to relate to you. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's an interesting term, isn't it? And we've used it this morning about talking about church as family and families well, they're an interesting or organism, sort of complicated. I'm sure each of us, if we shared our story about our families, uh, we'd all have different kind of stories. I know for a Christmas experience for us, it was like rocking up at Christmas. We have family interstate, so we don't see them that often. But it's family. So you get together uh, you've only got a few hours together for Christmas lunch and move to another one for Christmas dinner. And you kind of go, oh, how's it going? Go, oh, good, good. And you sort of go, okay. Because you're connected. You, you already know each other. You already can relate to each other. There's no breaking down barriers. We've already got this ongoing relationship with each other because we're so familiar with each other. You get past the, how are you going? Good. Oh, what's your year been like? What have you been up to? Anything exciting? Nah. Oh, what do you got planned for this year? Anything exciting happening this year? Nah. And it's like, 
Oh, can you pass the sauce, please? And you get back to dinner, you get back to eating again. And a few hours later, you do it with the next group of relatives. And then even though with no deeper meaningful conversation, we hug and kiss each other, great to see you again for another year, great to feel like we belong and we've got a connection. We'll see you again in another few months or another 12 months and we do it again next year. It's kind of this interesting dynamic of being so familiar with each other and because you're family, you're accepted with each other, you belong with each other. There's none of this trying to prove yourself because you're just, you're there, you're a part of it. But yet on the flip side, it's easy to, to do family without really knowing each other. In reflecting on uh, some things I've learned about my family over the last couple of years is with my dad and my father-in-law. My dad I've known all my life, so I've known him for over 50 years now. And my father-in-law all my adult life, and I'm still learning stuff about uh, who they are from their past. You know, because they grew up sort of in the 1950s, and, you know, they both played football back then. They talked about how, you know... One of the biggest acts of rebellion was flogging the neighbour's fruit without being caught and how their mum used to rouse on them back in the day. And it's like sharing these stories that you never really talk about unless you really purposeful look into their life. It's kind of, oh, I feel like I know you better now. I can relate to you better now. Because unless you ask these questions, you just go along, so like, we just do family. I encourage you to talk to uh, your parents, somebody of a different generation, ask them specific questions because it's, it's not only interesting but, but it's building that relationship, taking it further. But I find it also interesting when we talk about the Bible's use of family and God as father, I think we do the same thing. You know, God, it's, we're family, so it's a familiar term, it's a place where you should come and be accepted, God loves me, I'm a part of the family, that's my identity. We have a God the Father. God in, in three parts, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we get uh, very focused on Jesus because that's important. That's the way we come into the family, through Jesus, knowing his work uh, when he come to earth on the cross and his resurrection. But the Father's kind of in the background. Oh, he's there, but he's in the background. He's not really a part of that, where the action is. And so... We don't really get to know him. And it's interesting that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church in the book of Romans and the first thing he talks about is you need to get to know the Father. You need to establish who he is, how you relate to him, how you connect with him. Because without the Father, the rest of the gospel kind of is imbalanced to say the least, if not, not the full gospel. So as we dig into chapter 1, we're going to get to know our Father our Father God, and why that's important. Because he's often just in the background. And Paul's saying, no, no, you need to know the Father. So we're starting this uh, series in Romans. We're hitting it right from the get-go. And we're going to get to know God's story. So right from the get-go, Paul introduces himself. He is the Apostle Paul. He introduces himself as an apostle. That just means that he's someone who knew Jesus and has been sent to tell other people about Jesus. So all Jesus' disciples knew him and went out to talk about him. Paul became an apostle a bit later when Jesus appeared to him uh, in person after his death and resurrection. And Paul was, had his life transformed and went out telling people about Jesus. 
So this is Paul. He's a bit like, we might say, the storyteller. He's going to tell us the story of God. But even when he says in the first line, uh, Paul is a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, often we talk about the gospel, the gospel really meaning good news. It's great news. That's a good news story. But he uses this phrase... It's not just a good news story, it's the gospel of God. Now, in the book of Romans, particularly this first section, when we throw around the term God, it's, I'm not sure what comes to mind for you. Are we talking God as in God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he's big, he's out there. But when Paul talks about God, he's singling out the Father God because he's going to talk about Jesus, the Son of God, later. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit later. Here he's talking about God the Father. Shorthand, God. And this is God's good news story. He's set apart to tell it. He says the gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Spirit, Holy Scriptures. It's kind of like this story needs to go further back. In fact, there's some stuff here. Why is God promising? Why is it talked about in the, in the prophets and the, in the scriptures from, from way back when? The story goes back right to creation to get the background. The story starts when in Genesis we read, God the Father created, through, through his son Jesus, the Holy Spirit was there, but God created uh, the universe, the world, the Garden of Eden, and then he put into it, uh, he created man in Adam, and woman in Eve, and there's this beautiful picture of this relationship between God and his children. God would come and hang out with them in person in the Garden of Eden. But then it got to a point in the relationship where Satan comes into the garden in the form of the snake and says, look, you got this thing with God. You know how he got there, right? You know, if you eat the fruit from the tree, you can be like God. You don't have to be his like children or his servants but you can be the one in charge. So when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree, it wasn't about the fruit. It was about, hey, I don't want God, particularly God the Father, sitting on his throne having authority over me. In fact, I want to do my own thing. I probably think I can do a better job than God. So I'm going to eat the fruit and I'm going to become God. I'm going to become the ruler of my own life. That's what the fruit was about. So in doing so, you can see this, how we were created, the first man, the first woman in relationship with the father is broken, it's torn apart. You want to be ruler of the household? Sure, go, go your own way is pretty much uh, how God lets them uh, play out their actions. And they've gone, they're kicked out of the garden and that father-child relationship is now broken children have walked out you know they slammed the door I'm out of here was Adam and Eve because they wanted to rule their own life and it wasn't going to work that's not how we were created this is the problem of Genesis of God's loving creation but his children rebelling against him but even in creation uh, even after that happened immediately after God is the father is looking to restore that relationship so even in that conversation with Adam and Eve God is saying hey I'm going to send one to crush the head of the serpent crush the head of Satan I'm going to remove Satan from the picture alluding to I'm going to restore this relationship I'm not going to leave it broken 
but I'm going to promise I'm going to crush Satan in this process. As we read through uh, Genesis, we get to chapter 12. God singles out a man called Abraham, makes promises to him. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you with lots of children. And you're going to have the biggest family. Family is numbered like the sand on the seashore. Your family is going to be so great. And your family is going to be a blessing to all people, to all nations. What he's talking about, God is going to restore the relationship. I'm going to call my children back. And they're going to uh, not just be in one family, but to all people. So God's making all these promises. And as time goes on, and we can read it through, uh, at this point when Paul's writing, the Old Testament, what we have is their scriptures. As time goes on, God sends prophets. Prophets who come along, they know the promises of God. They know God is good to fulfill them. So they're always telling people, get back with God. Come back, trust him. He's going to send one who's going to crush Satan. He's going to deal with our sin and he's going to call us home as his children. The prophets are always calling people back. Paul says it's recorded in the scriptures. God's plan to call people back. It's all there that God had a plan. He promised it. The prophets spoke it. The scriptures recorded it. The the Father God said it. He's got a mission and he's going to put that mission in, in place throughout history it's good to know that because Jesus when Jesus turns up in history Jesus the son of God turns up he's not a random event it's not like I don't know whether you've ever done this for your holidays you know you open up a map shut your eyes and put a finger down I'm going to go there I wonder what that's going to be like it's not like God said spun the globe and said I'm going to go there Middle East fancy that flicks open his calendar not like a calendar 365 days for us, his calendar for history of time. And he goes, I'm going to come there then. And go, oh, look at that. In this random time and place, God pops up. It's not like that. See, even Paul talks about Jesus was a descendant of David. David, who lived a thousand years before Jesus. They were talking about Jesus coming. A thousand years. That takes a lot of planning and preparation. God's plan was in action for a long time for Jesus to come. The Holy Spirit, he says, was in place. And we see the action of the Holy Spirit in like Mary's uh, story. Mary, a virgin, becomes pregnant. The Holy Spirit was active in that point. The Holy Spirit's putting it together. So all of a sudden we see God the Father, God the Son coming, God the Holy Spirit all in, in place for this big event. Jesus coming was just the highlight of all history, of all time, it's the biggest event of God, God planning this to come and it arrived through Jesus. Paul wants us to know that Jesus is the son of God who his earthly life was a descendant of David who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God. Appointed is not the best word to use there because we're translating it from the Greek. Declared the son of God is probably a better word to use. Uh, He showed himself to be the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's Jesus. The father's going, here he is. I'm putting him back on the throne. Remember Adam and Eve took God off the throne, didn't want to sit under him. But I'm going to put my son back on the throne to restore that relationship. But he does it through this big claim of being the son of God, but it's not just a claim, because we can all make big claims. 
but to be raised from the dead? That's like the power of God to do that. No one can be raised from the dead. Nobody's done it in the past. Nobody's going to do it in the future unless, unless you've got some divine power over all creation that you can break the rules of creation by being dead and buried and then coming back to life. But when Jesus was killed on a cross for all to see, buried in a tomb for three days, it was God the Father raised his son. It's a good point. Sometimes we often skim over that in the, in the gospel story, in the Easter story. But it was God the Father who raised Jesus. His power at work to make him come alive. But affirming, declaring that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is worthy to sit on the throne. And he's the one who we can trust to come back to the Father. This is big. This is big. So we need to know that at that point in time that we'd walked out on God, but yet God had this plan. Not just, oh, I think I'll do this, but God had a plan over a long period of time to reach out to us that he was going to make restoration. Now, what Paul's talking about is not just a fictional story, it's a historical story, real events that happened because God was changing lives all through the way that story unfolded, that the Father's plan to bring his children back was being played out. Now we can see it, Paul reflects on his own story a little bit, if we pick it up from verse 5, through him we received grace and apostleship. Now he's talking... The Apostle Paul can testify to this because he was one who hated the message of Jesus. It went against everything that he stood for, all his Jewish religious faith, his rules uh, and traditions. And Jesus comes along and says, no, trust me and you can get to the Father. So Paul was active, and it's recorded in Acts, going out from house to house, asking people if they believed in Jesus, putting them in jail, arranging them for, to be beaten unless they deny their faith, even having one guy stoned to death who was preaching about Jesus. This is how Paul hated the message of Jesus. But yet when Jesus appeared to him, turned his life around. He could say, no, his religion, his rules and his tradition didn't work, but it's through Jesus he could come to know the Father. This is good news. He says, I'm an apostle, I'm called to the Gentiles, to obedience that comes from faith in his name. So he's going out to the world. We'll, we'll talk about the Jewish Gentile thing next week, but all to know there's different groups of people that God's going out for, and he's there to tell them the good story about Jesus. He says, you're also among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You're there, you belong. You belong. He's writing to all in Rome who are loved by God. So he's let, writing this letter to a church in Rome at that time, in the first century. To all who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Now, you need to understand how countercultural this is. Because we live in a world, I'm not sure whether you've picked it up, but it's quickly changing. That if we come from nothing, you know, how did you end up in this life, in this world, at this time? Well, we actually come from nothing. Actually, the result of some biological uh, accident that just happened, that there's no creator, there's no divine, there's no one who planned you, cared for you and brought you into this world, but you just, you're just here. You've got no history. 
But then when you die, you've got nothing, you just return to dust. There's nothing beyond your life. You've got 80 years. Make the most of it. Make the most of it. So what we tend to do is, it's like telling your child they're an accident, I think. It's like, okay, the first two children were planned, they were looked after, they had the best nursery, the best kids stuff, they had the car that fitted four people, they had it all planned out. But you come along, you're an accident, and so we weren't planning for you, we had, you, you just tag along because we haven't really catered for you. It's like saying that to your children. If you want to make a child feel, I think, unloved and excluded from a family, you tell them a story like that. You don't belong. You're not meant to be here. You're an accident. I think that's very similar to the story our culture feeds us about how we, how we ended up in this world. That you're an accident. You just turned up. It's chance. It's coincidence. And I don't think it's a surprise that with that story, with our background, that there is a, a growing problem, an epidemic of loneliness. People don't, feeling like, don't feel like they belong. A lack of purpose. Where am I going? What am I trying to get out of life? All those questions are being asked more than ever before. So I think we kind of compensate as a society to say, even though the world's been going on for billions of years, you've turned up right here, right now, uh, as, an, as a biological uh, accident or as a result of some biological coincidences, uh, but you're special. But you're unique. You can be whatever you want to be. And you're destined for greatness. We come up with all this stuff to build up our self-esteem, to go, yeah, we are somebody, we are great. By the way, you've only got 80 years to prove it, so make the most of it, because the world's been going on for billions of years. You're going to end up at dust and it's not going to matter. Nobody's going to remember you anyway. And I think this, this culture that we are growing up in, our kids are growing up in, it's very much centred on you need to make the most of your life, your 80 years. Make the most of it because that's all you've got. You come from nothing, you go to nothing. It's all about me, my life, my money, my stuff, my pleasure... It's all about me wanting to make the most of my 80 years because that's, that's all the story I've got. Some people described it, I've heard, described as it's like how we've got the sun. The sun's big and the planets revolve around the sun. The sun does anything, it affects all the planets. But, but the sun's there. We want to be like the sun, the centre of the universe. We want everything to revolve around us. I've only got 80 years, right? So I want my money, my pleasures, my actions to make me pleasure and, and give me the most out of my short story here on this earth. That we make it all about us and we end up being very self-centred about us. You understand what Paul's saying here? This is different to the world we, that what the world is telling us, what Paul is saying. This is why Paul goes, the starting point of knowing God has a plan he planned you from the beginning in creation of humanity. He planned you. He made Adam and Eve into a relationship with the Father God. There is a Father God, Paul's saying. In fact, just pulling out that verse. There is a creator God that you are no accident and you come into this world with a connection to the Father. And God is at work. Throughout time, he's been bringing you home. 
He promised it. The prophets wrote about it. Jesus appeared so he, he can restore our relationship. So we can know the Father. We have a history. And we're going somewhere. It changes who we are. This is why uh, it also means that God doesn't just fit into your story. I've got 80 years, I'm like the centre of the universe, everything revolves around me. Even if I run into God, I want God to revolve around me. I want God to serve me. I want God to give me what I want. He did say, ask and you'll receive. So I want God to make my life better. I've got 80 years, I'm making the most of it right. What Paul is saying, no, 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 God's story is bigger than your story. God has been at work for a long time to bring you home. From the time of Adam and Eve, he was planning it. God is not just a character in the story of your life. He's the author of your life. That he's been planning you right from the time Adam and Eve broke the relationship. God's been working about how to bring you home. And because we live this side of the cross, this side of Jesus, we can see God at work and what he's done to do that. And that's why Paul's so passionate about what he's writing. It's the gospel. It's the good news story about God the Father and what he's done to bring you home. And the big part of this story is not just what God's been busy. The big part of this story is that you're in it, that you're a part of the story. He says you're loved by God. You are called to be his holy people. His holy people. Holy just means that you're set apart from the world. You're different to the world, that you belong to him as a holy God, that you're a part of the family. You're a part of his story. God's just not talking about the past either. God is not finished. See, Paul goes on. Uh, he goes on to, to... I've skipped out a few verses for time's sake, but if you go home and read it... Uh, just see how Paul's life is shaped by God's work through the way he prays, the way he plans his life. His, his life revolves around. His life is now orbiting God and you can see it in action. But he also knows God's a big God and, and God's not finished his work yet. He says from verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentiles, all people is saying. He says the power of God is at work. He's not just talking about what he's seeing in the first century Roman Empire. This is the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead that I talked about earlier is changing people's lives. In Paul's time, 2,000 years ago, throughout history when we see uh, people's lives being changed and transformed, even today, the fact that we have many believers here sitting in the room today, we can testify God at work. We've seen people come to faith, come to life in Jesus here in this church, which has been exciting to see. There's every reason we should have confidence in our mission to reach our community. If you're new here, we have this uh, vision statement that, God will, that we work and pray that God would use us to reach 1% of our community. God's in charge. We want to trust him, but we're going to work towards it because we've got a big God. 1%. God can do 1%. You know, he raised Jesus from the dead. The power of God to change lives, one sense, nothing. We have over 100,000 people who live within 10 minutes of this church. One percent, 1,000 people? Yeah, God. We're going to trust that you would use us to reach 1,000 people in our community. We have every reason to believe it because God is still at work. He's not finished. And it's the power of God that changes people, that brings people to faith, 
to life in him. We should have every confidence that he's doing that and those of us who have been around for a while here have seen it happen. God's story is not finished. It started a long time ago and it continues to play out in action today. I just want to wrap up with making this connection with the prodigal son. The prodigal son's a story that Jesus told uh, to a whole group of people, Jews, Gentiles, whole range of people. And uh, if you're f- half familiar with Romans, Roman, the book of Romans can be a scary book. It's long, it's big, it's like, what is going on here? Can I say, we're going to spend a bit of time getting familiar with the prodigal son because it is a great summary. It's almost like the short story of Romans. But I think it's a helpful illustration here because Jesus tells this story to a group of people, some religious, some rebels, and he shares this story about a father who has two sons. The younger son, the younger son just says, Dad, I don't want to live in your house anymore. In fact, I want my inheritance. Give me what I deserve and I'm off. His father gives him his inheritance and he's off to the big smoke, into the city. And the older son is there. The older son thinks, you know, the sun shines out his backside. He's the golden child. He does everything right. He doesn't love the father, but he loves the father's stuff as well. I deserve my stuff. I deserve my inheritance. I deserve all this. So this father has problems with two sons. Neither of them love him. There's no relationship there. They're just after his stuff and just want to live their own lives. It's almost like the two sons want to, rather than making the father the centre of the family, they're making the father orbit around them. I just want your stuff to make my life happy. I want you to, to fix my problems and make my life better. So they've got the father revolving around them. Now, often we get to this story and we ask the question, which son are you? Are you younger son, older son? It's a good question. It's a question we're going to be asking over the next few weeks. But it's not the first thing that jumps out of the story that Jesus wants us to see. He actually says, did you notice what happens to the father? Did you notice what the father's like? Do you know the father? You know, he tells a story that uh, when, the, when the younger son left, the father's the one that goes out and sits out and looks to the horizon, waiting for his younger son to come home. And when his younger son does come home, what does he do? Gets cranky at him. Gives him the, you know, what did you do that for? You never listened, start an argument. The father runs to his rebellious son. The father puts his arms around him. The father kisses him. The father then throws a party, a welcome home party for his, for his rebellious son. What sort of crazy love is that? What sort of reckless love from the father does that to his son? The rebellious one. But then the older son doesn't want to come into the party because he's a bit angry. Uh, so he's saying, why are you doing this to the young son? I deserve everything because I've been the, the golden child. And his father has to go out to the older son. The father actually runs to both sons because they won't come into the house. He runs to both of them to fix up the relationship. What sort of father would do that? They would love his sons enough to, rather than saying, you should know better, but to meet them and bring them home. Do you know the father like that? Because Jesus is saying, this is a story. Yeah, the sons, are, the sons, we've got to think who we are, the sons. But did you notice the father and his reckless love that he would just pour out his love to welcome his, his sons home, his children home, to be with him where they can experience his love? That's what the father is like. Do you know this father? 
the Father God like that because that's what Jesus is teaching us. That's what Paul's saying. In fact, Jesus describes a love that is so irresistible that no matter where I've come from, no matter what I've done, that I can come home to the Father like that and get a welcome like that from him, that in fact he's looking for me to come home. Jesus describes it as an irresistible love. Paul describes it as the good news, the gospel of God, the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's the Father's God's had a plan and he wants you to be a part of it. Are you a part of it? Do you know him? I encourage you to be with us over the coming weeks to get to know this story a whole lot better. But I hope you don't leave this building without being drawn to the love of the Father and to know him. Let me pray. Dear Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for your enormous love that you would invite us home. That even though we've done things in our lives that are just summed up in Adam and Eve, we don't like living under your rule. We like living life our own way. Even swallowed the lie of I've got 80 years, so help me to make the most of it. Lord, we often don't realise your bigger plan. That you spent a lot of time doing a lot of things to, to allow us to come home. Lord, thank you that you're a loving God with his arms wide open, waiting for us to be chosen by you, to be called your holy people, different to the world, but a part of your family. Lord, let us draw near to you as our Father God, through Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.